0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Might there be hope for BYU basketball as members of the Big 12 and that just a leviathan of a conference? We'll talk about that. We'll also look ahead to BYU's offensive line entering 2023 with a look back first at 2022. What is up, everybody? I'm Jay Catch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Very proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. The motto at the network is your team every day, and as such, we are your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. The goal here, my goal simply stated, is to make you guys the smartest BYU fans out there. by giving you all the news and notes you guys need to know about when you're talking with your family and friends or even coworkers around the water cooler. All right, let's dive right into today and start on the BYU football front with the BYU offensive line obviously very much in flux and what we've been doing over the past week or so is we've been doing uh, position group by position group each of our debriefings looking back at the 2022 season and how they performed while also getting a little bit of a peek ahead to 2023. Now With news this week uh, coming out of uh, the just tragic death of Sione Vecoso, I guess it was late uh, over the weekend, late last week, and then also the commitment and now official signing of Waylon Lapuajo joining the BYU offensive line, I figured this was a great time to uh, stop and talk about the offensive front for BYU. Now, this is an offensive line that was very uh, highly graded uh, in terms of if if you looked at uh, the past ratings, if you go to Pro Football Focus, uh, a website that I happen to frequent a lot during the season, they put out grades every single week for every individual player and also go position group by position group. And wouldn't you believe it, uh, for the 2022 season, do you know who the number one team per PFF in pass uh, in pass protection offensive line, line was? Yes, the BYU Cougars. They rated out a 92, which is actually a very elite grade. Uh, and I think that uh, if you look to BYU's 2022 season along the offensive line, yes, the pass protection was absolutely marvelous. I thought Jaron Hall was very comfortable back there. He only averaged one sack per game that's a great number if you're an offensive line and that's the thing about this is the offensive line in pass protection was very very good now there are a number of viewers saying, well, what about run, run run blocking, Jake? Not as good. And I think all of us saw that with our own eyes, is the BYU's inability, especially in some critical third and fourth and short situations, the inability to surge forward as an offensive line was just abysmal. And it affected BYU in a number of games and a number of close losses in particular that may have uh, changed had they been able to convert some of those short yardage uh, deals. And the BYU's fourth down percentage this year, just frankly, abysmal. It's a number that uh, you would hope that gets a little bit of an uptick next year, maybe with some. Extra emphasis on converting in those situations, but I think the biggest thing for BYU's offensive line is it was a it was a I don't know I want to say a good year on one front, but not as good on another. And I think that our conversations with Clark Barrington, if you guys were joining us all season long, he was our weekly guest here on the show via a name, image, and likeness deal that we had with him he talked about the fact that we just need to focus on our fundamentals and getting better at that. Well, Clark decided the fundamentals apparently weren't good enough and ultimately up and transferred to Baylor. His younger brother, Campbell Barrington, also made the jump uh, to Baylor via the transfer portal. And then three other offensive linemen, uh, two of them graduating and Harris LeChance and Joe Tuguafu with their eligibility expiring, they're off to pursue their fortunes in the NFL. And Blake Freeland has accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl, and it's expected that he's going to make a formal announcement at some point. Maybe he won't, but uh, except Accepting that uh, and accepting that invite to the Senior Bowl indicates to me that he is planning on moving on with his career. So there are five uh, top-level linemen, starting caliber linemen for BYU who are exiting the program this year, and that obviously is going to leave some pretty big holes for BYU. Now you combine that with the absolutely just tragic loss of Sione Vecoso, a guy that I figured could slot in starting in a number of positions for BYU in 2023, there are six offensive linemen that are no longer with the program, and and that that opens up opportunities here. Now, Waylon Lapuajo, the transfer from Utah State, formerly of Bingham High School up there in South Jordan, Utah, he officially comes in. And I think he actually adds to this group and makes them, I think, a fairly uh, – deep uh, unit, uh, not deep, uh, but a fairly good unit with him figuring to probably start uh, for BYU this year. Now the way I see it, and uh, I'm going to project ahead a little bit here before I get to some other thoughts on the offensive line from 2022, is that in 2023, my projected offensive line right now, starting five-wise, let's let's be clear about this, this is my top five guys, I think that Kingsley Suomata'ia makes the transition from right tackle to left tackle, even if he doesn't, he's a starter at right tackle and he's entrenched there. I think that at the Guard spots. Those are the big questions. I think uh, for BYU, uh, are you going to put Waylon Lapuaho at his right guard spot that he played for Utah State, or do you slot him in a left guard? Connor Pay is a, is just absolutely the guy at center. So that's nice to have at least two guys who are bedrock guys. Speaking of Suamatia and Connor Pay. That makes uh, your garden and uh, at least one tackle spot very, very solid. Now, I think the other two guys who factor in here alongside Waylon Lapuaho are Braden Kime and Lisala Tai. Now, uh, other names we'll get to here in a minute, but I think that Lisala Tai, considering what Aaron Roderick told us in the lead-up to the New Mexico Bowl, telling us that he thought Lisala Tai had an NFL future in front of him, he thought he's an NFL-caliber lineman, that would scream to me that Tai is either going to be a, a tackle, maybe opposite of Kingsley Sumati, a right tackle, or he plays it as a road get Raider guard, despite being very, very tall for a guard. I think he's six foot seven, six foot eight. But regardless, you slot him in there, and then Braden Kime, if he's unable to maybe make the transition to the interior, you make him your right tackle. I think that's probably your projected five going into spring ball. Now, that's a far cry from what we have seen from BYU over the past three or so, three or so years is this offensive line. And that's the one thing about this: is looking back at this 2022 season, there is some thought in my mind regarding the offensive line. Is that maybe just maybe uh, I don't have any inside sources on this. This is just my gut reaction. I'd love to hear your guys' insight on this. That BYU's offensive line, some of the lack of production and maybe some of the lack of performance by this group, maybe it was due to some of them feeling like they were a little too complacent. And I think Clark Barrington alluded to that. He essentially said, "I felt like I was I needed to be pushed a little bit more." So maybe just with how many guys were entrenched starters, Clark Barrington was a four-year starter for for all intents and purposes for. The BYU football program. A guy like uh, Blake Freeland, since he entered the lineup in 2019 as a right tackle, moved over to left tackle, and he's been the guy ever since. Like some of these guys were very, very uh, locked in with their positions. They understood uh, the assignments, what they were supposed to do, and maybe just some complacency settled in with these guys. And I, I think that may have led because to, to to well, let me finish my thought. That may have led to the offensive line having issues in the run game because when it comes to run protect uh, run, run protection, when it comes to run blocking, you have to get after it. It is the the, the 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 aggressor when it comes to rush offense versus rush defense. The most aggressive players typically are going to dominate in that scenario. Pass protection, okay, it's a lot more, I don't want to say passive, but it, it's far more in terms of like you sit back and just shield guys and make sure they stay off of your quarterback at all, at all costs. So, I'm just... I, I'm not accusing anybody uh, of getting uh, too high and mighty or too comfortable in their spots, but Clark Barrington said it in his final interview with us that he felt like he was a little complacent and needed to be pushed a little bit more, and I think that may have led to some of the issues with the run blocking, because the pass blocking was elite. Like I said, when you give up an average of one sack per game as an offensive line, that's a great, great number. But in critical downs and distances, third and one, third and two, fourth and short, uh, those situations, as an offensive line, you need some... For lack of a better term, BAMFs, and if you know don't know that analogy, you can Google it. But you, you understand those most of you, I think, understand what BAMF uh, means. You need guys who are going to be nasty and absolutely get after. And the thing about this is, Clark Barrington, uh, I'll tell you this: I've said it on the interviews with him. There is a family member of his that told me that Clark Barrington might be the meanest and just uh, most unliked guy in game of anybody on the football field. He is just a mean son of a cuss out there. Now, did that reflect in some of his play? He said that early on in the season, he felt like he didn't live up to what he was capable of doing as an offensive lineman. That may have led to some of the downfall of this offensive line. But the nice part is, as you project ahead to 2023, there are really only two guys, and both of them essentially are one-year starters, so they should not feel all that comfortable in their spots. There should be a lot of turnover with this offensive line going into the 2023 season, and of course the start of the Big 12 uh, conference era for BYU. And those guys should be on notice that, hey, What happened last year, especially in the run game? It ain't happening again, and it starts with spring ball. Obviously, Waylon Lapuaho, him signing means that he'll be enrolling uh, here as BYU begins classes on Monday, January 9th, and he should be part of spring ball for BYU and trying to establish himself along that offensive front. And as we get a little closer to spring ball, we'll do more of our position group previews for spring ball, looking at some of the other young guys who could establish themselves in spring, but on paper, I think there's a pretty solid uh, core five guys for BYU's offensive line as they go into the Big 12. The big question will be, once again, Again, will they reprise what they did this last year where they were pretty good in pass protection but struggle in run blocking? Or will they finally uh, man up and get after it in the run game? We'll have to wait and see, but it's one of those interesting things. And I, I welcome your guys' feedback, whether it's in the comments here on YouTube, or if you just want to tweet at me, Jacob C. Hatch, or Locked On Cougars on Twitter, drop us a note on Facebook, whatever it is. Love to get your guys' feedback on what you think of BYU's offensive line. But I think my overall uh, takeaway, I guess my overall thought for BYU's offensive line, is if I were to give it a letter grade, I'd probably give it like a. a B, because uh, the offensive line, the, the pass protection was elite. It was very, very good. But the run blocking, left well, a lot to be desired. So, could have been better, but also not necessarily maybe as bad as we all thought it was because BYU did put up an 8-5 and five record. Alright, coming up here in just a minute, let's we'll switch over and talk about some interesting changes or at least recommendations for NCAA, uh, the Division 1 Board of Governors for the f- future of sports, especially when it comes to basketball. BYU men's basketball is going into an absolute Juggernaut of a conference, maybe the best conference. I, I consider it to be the best basketball conference in the country. Could a proposal on the table from the NCAA Transformation Committee give BYU basketball a little more hope, maybe at least early on in their NCAA, uh, not their NCAA, their Big Twelve membership? And I obviously relate around uh, TV contracts and the like. We'll talk about that and some other highlights uh, from those recommendations here in just a moment. First, a word on our friends over at Bet Online. Bet has been with us for many, many years my friends and they are your number one source for all of your sports betting information, stats news and analysis. Uh, for example I just got an alert earlier this week The BYU's odds to win the NCAA tournament this year remain the same 300 to 1. It opened at 250 to 1 but after some of their early struggles it dropped to 300 to 1 and it has sat there ever since now you start to win maybe 7-8 excuse me, they've already won 7 in a row they win 8-9-10 in a row, maybe those odds go up but if you want to get in on that action get to bet online, get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur amateur league out there from pro football to the college bowl season, which has just ended the NCAA champion, the CFP championship upcoming next Monday. Like I said, the basketball realm with both college hoops and the NBA, they've got it all at bet online. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at bet online as well. They are the fastest and the easiest way to get all of your betting information. Head to the website today, or use your mobile device to learn more. Now that's bet online, where the game starts. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. I want to encourage you guys uh, to make sure you guys check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. It's a fantastic product uh, put out every single day by us here on the Locked On Podcast Network, getting you up to speed on everything going on in sports, the major headlines in every major sport, no matter what league it might be in. It's 25 minutes or less. They get you covered, and the best part is they have instant reactions, game recaps, and, of course, the famous Locked On take of the day that's Locked On Sports Today, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast all right the NCAA transformation committee has been uh, formally uh, tasked with setting some recommendations to the NCAA's Board of Governors and they have finally issued their final report it was 40 pages in length with a number of proposals that they are recommending that the division one uh, Board of Governors adopt and or explore further and there are a number of them that relate around college sports and BYU in particular we're going to get into those here momentarily but now let me also add this all these are simply proposals they are The NCAA's annual convention is supposed to be in San Antonio next week, if I recall correctly. So some of these could be implemented as soon as next week, but I don't think all of them will be. The first one uh, relates around BYU and joining the Big 12 as a basketball program. Now, football obviously uh, is king, but the men's basketball and women's basketball, also to a degree, are going in to much tougher conferences. On the men's side of things, the Big 12 is currently the best conference in college basketball. Right now, all 10 of the current Big 12 men's teams are are, I believe, top 50 at, at worst in the net ratings and have the 10 toughest remaining schedules this season. That's just absolutely just uh, incredible to consider. But that's what is going up against as they join the Big 12 in basketball. And obviously adding Houston, who actually would be the highest ranked of all of the Big 12 schools because they have absolutely just tearing it up down there. Uh, speaking of the Houston Cougars, you also bring in Cincinnati, who's got a great pedigree, UCF, eh, okay, whatever. But the Big 12 is going to be absolutely incredible for hoops. There's a proposal out there from the from this transformation committee that they want to increase the participation in postseason contests to 25% of each member. So in Division One basketball, on the men's and women's side of things, there are 360-plus teams in each of those divisions. Well, 25% of that would be 90 teams. That would mean expanding the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournament from the current 68 teams for both of them to nearly 90 teams. Now, this obviously would have to be uh, negotiated with TV contracts. I believe the NCAA has a contract with uh, CBS and Turner Sports uh, for the NCAA men's tournament in particular, the women's tournament with ESPN, but I think the men's tournament, the contract, runs through the early 2030s, if I saw on social media correctly, so that obviously have to be negotiated, but if you're going to expand out to 90 teams, that gives far more hope for a program like BYU, who I think is up against it. They may be the 11th team out of 12 teams in the newly formed Big 12 men's basketball. And That's no offense to Mark Pope and his squad. I'm just looking at the simple fact of the matter of how good this conference is going to be in hoops. And to get 90 teams in there opens up some extra slots for Big 12 teams farther down the, the list in terms of the pecking order getting a chance to make the NCAA basketball tournament. Like I said, this is not a thing that's going to happen right away, but that 90 teams, I'm all about more March madness. I know that people out there, well, it's too many teams. You know what? What? you all love the Cinderella's and getting more teams in there projects with more Cinderella's getting in, but also more quote unquote blue bloods or bigger time programs, power five type programs, uh, getting a chance to play, uh, in that tournament. But I'm very interested to see what happens with that. It it might just give it the, uh, the smallest hope to BYU that maybe we don't necessarily have to be as elite as once thought to make the NCAA tournament. But at the same time with how good the big 12 is with the 68 team format, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that all 10 teams this year for the Big 12 make the NCAA tournament, no matter how bad their schedules are? I know that seems like a far cry from actually happening, but the net ratings indicate that that's a possibility, at least at the current juncture. Now, some other proposals coming in include uh, they're asking to require all Division I schools to provide medical coverage for athletically related injuries for a minimum of two years following graduation and the completion of their participation. I think this is a no-brainer. This should absolutely be part of this. These are athletes, and trust me, I'm married to a former Division I an athlete who is still dealing with some of the injuries that she picked up. And none of them are major. My wife didn't have any major injuries during her time playing softball. But the the fact of having a medical coverage for those two years beyond graduation would have made a world of difference for us. We got married her senior year, and to have those, that maybe that two years beyond that They've dealt with uh, some of the physical maladies that she picked up, and like I said, none of them are crazy things, but in football in particular, think about all the shoulder surgeries, knees, man, uh, every other surgery out there, all the injuries that go through football players and their careers, how difficult it might be if they had an extra two years to make sure everything was hunky-dory with their bodies, I guess, as well as they possibly could be, and that could be on the school's dime. I know that schools aren't necessarily probably thinking, why are you going to make us pay extra? But for these young men and young women to be competing at the level they're competing at, you can give that to them. The other thing says that the recommendations that the national coverage model might be needed to help programs cover some of the costs. So if they could get the NCAA to help foot some of the costs, that would help out immensely with regards to getting schools on board with this. Other things, uh, requiring schools to offer athletes who are on full scholarship the ability to return to school within 10 years uh, to, of leaving to complete their degree. Uh, some schools do this, uh, and there are actually other schools out there that this exists for every student. I believe Harvard has a long-standing policy. If you're admitted to Harvard you can come back at any time during your life even if you leave early without graduating and finish your degree at Harvard. This would uh, extend out. I think this is a great thing BYU to their credit has done a very good job at bringing athletes back who have not uh, finished their degrees and helping them, putting um, them through school paying for them uh, essentially as if they were scholarship athletes still to help them finish their degrees. I think it's a phenomenal thing that the NCAA could require this it would give more athletes that opportunity to get that done. Other things they would require schools to attest that they provide career counseling and life skills programming to athletes including at minimum, and this stuff is I think absolutely critical in this day and age, the following modules, mental health, strength and conditioning, nutrition, name, image, and likeness, financial literacy. Now that relates to name, image, and likeness with the financial literacy, making sure they understand, okay, you can make a lot of money with NIL, but you also have to deal with the taxes and the liability of that on this side of it. That's absolutely critical. Transfer requirements, career preparation, diversity, equity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and of course, campus sexual violence prevention. I think all of this would be absolutely awesome. I think a number of schools are already doing a lot of these things, maybe a part, if not all of them in certain programs. I know BYU, they've had people come in and talk about NIL and explain what the opportunity is, but I'd like to see a a CPA uh, on maybe on staff for some of these universities, or at least on call to come in and say, okay. When it comes to name, image, and likeness, here is what your tax liability is if you make X amount of dollars or beyond that. like That That type of stuff is something that a lot of these athletes, especially with the name, image, and likeness era that is just kind of around very recently, I don't think a lot of these athletes, and there's nothing against them, I don't think they fully understand the impact of how much uh, taking the money that they're getting via NIL, and a lot of it, obviously, Uncle Sam is going to want his cut of it. So that's the thing they have to weigh and make sure that they understand. I think it would be absolutely critical that the... So schools, BYU included, make sure they give all of this opportunity not this opportunity, give all of these uh, the, the skills programming, uh, career counseling, that type of stuff. And that's the other thing about this with name, image, and likeness in the Royal Blue Collective that BYU launched, they're already doing this and they've already implemented some of this. So maybe BYU had a little bit of a foresight on this, maybe heard about some of this coming down the pipe and built that in to their current uh, uh, preferred collective with the Royal Blue and I think it's a, it's a very, very cool thing that they are doing and hopefully they can expand on that with some of these recommendations. Now, a couple uh, more notes before we uh, finish up with some of these recommendations. They also are recommending a review of one, the revenue distribution model, two, financial aid and roster size for sports, and that's across all NCAA sports. Countable coaches, and the definition of countable coaches, they actually want to do away with volunteer coaches. And I know in baseball and softball in particular, a lot of the time you have a head coach and you have two paid assistant coaches and then you have a third and I think I actually can have up to a fourth what they call volunteer coaches where they're not on the payroll but they spend their time essentially acting as a full-time coach. They want to get rid of that. And I think it'd be an absolutely phenomenal thing. Mike Littlewood, uh, before he stepped down from his position, uh, joined me on this podcast last year and we were talking, just chit-chatting. and He talked about the fact that they felt like they absolutely needed that third coach, the, the first volunteer coach. It needs to be a full-time position. I think they want to make sure so that's implemented here. It's a recommendation from the Transformation Committee. Now, uh, the final two things here. Number four in this, uh, review of the role of sports agents. Obviously, with NIL, agents are part of the conversation. Now they need to look into how they can regulate that and how they're getting in contact, that type of stuff. And then finally, the playing and practice seasons. Now, those are obviously going to be ongoing things. They're going to revamp how things are going. Uh, gone are two-a-days, all fall camp long for football. That's been done away for four or five years now, but they want to continue to examine all of that. And then the final note here, and this applies to BYU football, considering uh, they are entering the Power Five. They're saying the committee recommends a review of the FBS attendance requirements to, quote, establish more effective distinctions between football subdivisions. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, with FBS right now, you have uh, such illustrious uh, programs as uh, Sam Houston State, who are joining uh, Conference USA next year. And it's nothing against the Bearcats, who BYU will face in their season opener 241 days away from today. Yeah, it's coming fast, folks. Uh, but the, they are going to have a attendance figure of what? If they get to 20,000. That's probably a really good number for them, uh, being an FCS program. And they've won a recent uh, FCS National Championship. But they're, they're it's a far cry for a lot of these programs. I think some of the smaller ones that, uh, in terms of their uh their attendance versus what BYU has. BYU... What the worst was it average of fifty thousand in some of those really, really down years and attendance wise in the middle part of the independent era? Uh BYU hold sixty-three thousand that's it sounds is it sixty three still maybe sixty-two and change now at LES, maybe even down to sixty one. But regardless, sixty plus thousand fans pack into Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and that is a great number. But there are others that are quote unquote minnows compared to that. They need to look at this and examine, okay, do we need to clarify that you have to have X set of attendance to be a member of the FBS and maybe the the delineation drops some teams to the FCS level. I am of the opinion that as programs want to come up to the FBS ranks, they need to show that they have sustainable fan attendance and I think that's a critical thing that they're looking at here in terms of you don't want to have a program who's averaging 5,000 fans com, uh, going and competing and having a team like say Alabama who averages a hundred and whatever thousand fans at their games. It just it, it, the, the the comparison seems apples to oranges and probably needs to be examined a little bit closer. But I, all these recommendations, like I said, are not binding. They're being uh, submitted to the NCAA Board of Directors, the Board the Board of Governors, I think is what their official title is, as they will make decisions uh, beginning next week at their annual convention. But I think a number of these are pretty smart and obviously would have impacts on BYU and the rest of the NCAA. All right. Final thing before we go on today's show is our continuation of our look back at all 155 games of BYU's independent era. We've already talked about uh, number one, the thrilling win over Ole Miss, a disappointing loss to Texas. Well, if you guys know your history of the 2011 season, you know what's coming next. We're talking about the first ever holy war in the independent era for BYU. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, a quick word on our friends. Over at UCCU, they're offering a 15-month savings certificate with an incredibly high APY of 4.00%. The best part is during that life of that certificate, the 15 months, you can jump up to an even higher rate of return anytime during the life of your certificate. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but interest rates and inflation are both on the rise, as if all of us hadn't noticed that. Well, here's the good news. UCCU can help you use this current rise in rates to your advantage, and doing that with that 15-month savings certificate with that incredibly high APY of 4.00%. Now, you might be wondering, what is a savings certificate? Is it like a savings account? A savings certificate is similar to a savings account, but both are great ways to earn a safe return on your money over time. But here's the difference. Savings Savings accounts typically come with unlimited deposits and withdrawals, but the savings certificate, you put it in one deposit, then let your money grow and grow and grow during that 15 months with that fixed rate of return that is much higher than a standard savings account. So get on it. You can go to UCCU, and the best part is if rates continue to rise, interest rates, inflation, etc., they allow you to jump up your interest rate once, anytime during the life of that savings certificate. That way, if yields continue to rise, you have the option to jump up to an even higher yield, which it makes it a great savings tool in this environment. So you can get started on this right away by going to uccu.com, calling them, or stopping in any one of their branches along the Wasatch front. They love nothing more than to help you guys out. The best part is if that 15 months in the 4.00% APY doesn't appeal to you, they also have a variety of term options to match your specific needs when it comes to your savings certificate. So visit UCCU.com to learn more today. That's UCCU. Love where you bank. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. And if you like UCCU would like to be one of our local sponsors here on the show, we'd love nothing more than for you guys to be part of the show. Uh, we have advertising slots open, and it's great time of year, new year, new you, that type of stuff. If you have a product, a brand, a company you'd like to have on the show, we'd love nothing more than to represent you here on Locked On Cougars. For more information, email LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. Reach out uh, via social media. We'll get you in touch with our our sales team, and maybe get you on the way. Uh, Why not? Maybe. We'll get you on the way to advertising success right here on Locked on Cougars. All right. Uh, Before we go on today's show, let's look back at one more of BYU's game, number three of 155 in BYU's independent era. And it was BYU versus Utah for the first time as non-conference members. They had never uh, faced off in 113 years. uh, They had been members of the same conference and had played annually in rivalry matchups. And we all know the history of BYU and Utah. But September 18th, 2011 was the first time these two met. Utah obviously was a new member of the Pac-12. BYU was an independent program. And it started out uh, pretty aus- uh, inauspicious, auspicious. I don't know how to say that exactly. But uh, it was ended up uh, Jake Heaps on the third snap from scrimmage has a, a snap cell over his head. And many of you recall the stumbling, bumbling nature of this play. He goes and tries to pick up the ball, tries to just throw it to get an incompletion, completely whiffs on the throw. It's just a abysmal and I, I wish ESPN would not uh, copyright claim uh, the video links uh, or else I would play this clip because it's just it, it's the most critical play of this game but he tries to pick it up and throw it whiffs on that it squirts into the end zone he tries to pick it up and then like kind of topples over does like a somersault in the air in unable to pick up the football and I believe it was a Derek Shelby that landed on it for a touchdown and I'm not gonna lie looking back at the Jay Keeps era that play right there may have signaled the end of Jake Heaps as BYU's quarterback. I'm not saying that it did, but at the end of the season, obviously, Riley Nelson had taken over as the starter, and Jake Heaps ultimately opted to transfer out of the program, but what a brutal play. Now, let me also acknowledge that BYU found themselves actually leading deep into the second quarter. Jake Heaps actually hooked up with Ross Apple for the third straight game for a touchdown, uh, making it 10-7 as BYU got late into the second quarter. Then Jake Murphy, the former BYU signee who ultimately opted to Transfer or play for Utah, I guess, after his mission, caught a touchdown pass, making it 14 to 10. And from there on, Utah had all the momentum. BYU ended up uh, turning it over seven times in this game. And uh, many of you recall PK maybe back in the day on uh, KUTV talking sports. He walked in for a Sunday night uh, conversation with David James and had a bunch of turnovers he had bought at a bakery. Well, BYU turns it over seven times and it ends up, as many of you recall, 54-10, 30 unanswered points in the second half. And just an abysmal, not even that, it was more than that. But regardless, no, it was 40 unanswered points in the second half. Just an abysmal performance for BYU, dropping them to 1-2 and on the season. Obviously, many of us were like, oh my gosh, the wheels have come off. BYU barely beat Ole Miss, and you thought, okay, maybe they can pick it up here. Well, BYU's offense was just scuffling along, and they had uh, been getting 40 and 50 yards rushing in the first two games of the year. BYU's run game against the Vaunted Utah defense mustered just 11 total yards on 22 carries. That's a 0.5-yard-per-carry average, just... Man, you want to talk about BYU's offensive line struggling running the ball this year in 2022 or this past year in 2022? It wasn't 0.5 yards per carry. The worst I think I saw for BYU this season was, I think, in the twos. So just just an awful awful game and BYU once again one and two on the season and like I said 54 to 10 it existed for many many years and still exists in certain circles as kind of that hiss and byword word uh, for BYU and that infamous streak that they finally snapped against Utah in 2021 but man 54 to 10 that will live on forever and that one play like I said Jake keeps trying to pick it up whiffing on the throw then like somersaulting over in, into the end zone and unable to pick it up and ends up as a touchdown uh, the, the Benny Hill music has been set to that play Many a time on social on social media, etc. Just a uh, man. One of those games that, uh, looking back at it, you're like, man, I just, that it's crazy to think It's that long ago, but at the same time, many of you will recall exactly where you're at, where you were sitting at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, watching that on TV. You'll exa- remember exactly what happened because I remember vividly where I was at. I, I just recently started working. In sports media, as I mentioned, it was my first year really uh, working, and I actually was watching this one remotely. I was doing some stuff with pre and post game coverage. I was watching it in a studio, and I just remember thinking, "What did he just do? He was, he whiffed on throwing the football, and oh, he just turned it! Oh my gosh, it's a touchdown for you! Like, what just happened? Like Scotty G, Scott Gerard, who I work with at the KSL Sports. What the hell just happened? Uh, that." There is just one of those plays that you will forever remember, and it's that one for Jay Keys. But BYU dropped to 1-2 and two as a result, and UCF was coming to Provo the very next week, and many of us, yours truly included, wondered, could this season spiral out of control? BYU's first year in independence, suddenly they're 1-2. Could things really get out of hand? And BYU, well... UCF was coming to town. We didn't necessarily quite know what to expect, and we'll talk about what happened against the, what was then, I believe, the Golden Knights. They're now just the Knights on uh, next, our next edition of the podcast coming up tomorrow. So thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys' support. It, it means the world to me. Like I said, if you want to advertise with us, we'd love nothing more than to get you guys on board with us. LockedOnBYU at gmail.com is the email address. Get in touch. We'd love to get you guys rolling with us here on the show. But also make sure you make your second listen. Our friends over at the Locked On Big 12 Podcast. Josh Neighbors does a great job making sure you're up to speed on everything on BYU's new conference home. I'm sure you'll have plenty of thoughts on the NCAA Transformation Committee, TCU playing in the National Championship in football, and a whole lot more. Get that free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts, just like this show. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. This has been the Locked On Cougars Podcast. See ya. Hey, Prime members.